Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Greetings to you in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, those here and those online. My last three years of primary school were at a little um, one teacher school in a coastal town in Victoria. And it was arranged first and second grade kids there, third and fourth grade, fifth and sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade. And most of the kids in that school went through to 7th or 8th grade. Once they were 14, they were gone. That was it. A few of us went on to secondary teach, uh, education. So in the one teacher school, those who have been in that sort of situation know that everybody knows exactly what's going on. Here's, sees, well, the bubs are doing their dib, dob, dib, or whatever they're doing down there. Okay. Now, there was a little boy. Now, in the name of politeness secrecy, all that sort of... I'll call him Arthur. For the simple reason, his name is Arthur. Anyway, he was either in grade one or two at the time, so he was only a little tacker. And he, Arthur sometimes had the misfortune to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And on one day, someone threw a ball in through the window of the classroom while Sir... Mr. Williams was having his morning tea or his lunch. Of course, he was not very happy about all that. So the following conversation took place when Arthur got home from school. You right, Em? Arthur says, Mum, what's a culprit? Mum said, that's a funny question. Why are you asking? Well, Arthur said, well, someone threw a ball in the classroom... And Mr. Williams asked me if I was the culprit. I said, yes. And he gave me the strap. And that strap, that long, that wide, that thick, <clears throat> it wasn't the sort of thing you wanted to have. I had it once. I went up at the back of the classroom and he threw it at me. It went right around and hit me on the eye. Not a great thing. So the question I put to you after that harrowing story was, was Arthur's punishment just or unjust? Was it just or unjust? Think about it. Now, Arthur was not a troublemaker, so said he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. He had limited vocabulary. He was a naive little kid. He grew up okay. He was nothing wrong with Arthur when he got up. But he got the strap because he had confessed to a misdemeanor. He said, yes. Now, in our daily lives, we're constantly having to make judgments about this or that. What do we put on this morning? What are we having for lunch? Uh, when's the best time to fill up the tank with petrol or diesel? When the, not now, because it's a little harder at 90 something. Wait till it drops. All that sort of thing. These are all mundane things that happen to everybody all the time. 
But of course, there are other times that come up when we have something important to come up and we have to make that judgment. Do we this? Do we do that? That's okay. That's normal part of our decision-making as we live from hour to hour in our lives. But we're hitting into a minefield when we do things about judging other people. So the theme I've taken for this sermon is judgment is best left to God. You'll hear it again. So we're in a series of uh, sermons on the theme of Romans, the power of grace. And last week, Emily was up here talking about wrath, that word. Because these were people being addressed in that passage last week who should have known better. They'd engaged in sins which were pretty heavy stuff. Idol worship, sexual deviance, the whole range of other stuff which was not really all that healthy. And this word wrath, it's a funny word, we don't use it much except when we read the Bible, but it's more than just annoyance, it's more than just anger, it's a touch, a very strong touch of indignation, outrage and so on. So it's no surprise that God was outraged and indignant and annoyed that these people had acted that way. Okay, that was last week. This week the focus is on judgment and justice. But before looking at today's passage, let's look at Romans as a whole. So it's written by Paul, and Paul, as we know, <coughs> was one of the great evangelists in the early part of the church. We know about Paul because we have the existing letters. Letters written by Paul or by other people in Paul's name to places like Thessalonica, Corinth, um, Ephesus and Colossae. So Paul had emphasised that area of the world west of Israel into what is now Turkey or Turkey, if you can pronounce it the right way, I'm not sure, and Greece. So he'd done the eastern side when you're looking at Rome, because remember this book was written to the people in Rome. He now plans to go west, farther west than he's been, right across to the Iberian Peninsula and go to Spain, because Spain was a very important country in those days. Because he saw his mission as evangelising non-Jews, even though when you read the epistles and the book of Acts, when he goes to a new place, he often starts with the Jewish people, gets a bit of an introduction there, gets his foot in the door, but he was really concentrating on bringing non-Jews to Christ. So on his way to Spain, he would have been going, it's not direct, he's got to go down and back up again, he was going to go to Rome. So he's writing this letter as an introduction to himself, to these people. Now, Rome had already been in a Christian tradition. Thoughts have started by people, when you read the day of Pentecost, people there from all over the place. And it's thought that some of those people had gone back to Rome and brought the good news there. Others had picked up the gospel message from other places, but it was 
the fact that no one individual like Paul or any of those others, Timothy and so on, had actually built up a church there. There's a church built up by people who had, by other means, learnt of Christ. So Paul is introducing himself. And this letter is said, according to one commentator, a full statement of the gospel as he understood it and proclaimed it. So this is the gospel according to Paul with his understanding at that point in his ministry. Another commentator calls it an instruction in Christian doctrine, an epistle written to instruct its readers. So Paul is trying to educate the people before he gets there. This is what the good news is about. So this letter starts in a funny way, in a sense, because the bit that Emily didn't read, the first part of the first chapter in the book of Romans says, oh, gee, I'm loving to, I haven't met you all, but gee, I'm loving to come and meet you and see you. That's beautiful. Then, in last week's, dealt with by Emily in today's, he's really getting stuck into them, tooth and nail. You're a pack of whatevers. Now, you've done this, you've done that, you've done that. You really should be ashamed of yourself, shouldn't you? He hasn't even met the people yet. Oh, hello, Paul, what a nice chap you turned to be. Yes, no way. So it's a bit weird. Hello, I'm coming. I really have been waiting to see you for so long, and you're a pack of whackers. Doesn't sound really good. But that style of writing, apparently, is, was very common in those days. Called a diatribe with a funny accent over the last E. Diatribe, in other words, you don't hear much. And the diatribe works this way. It puts the words into the mouth of a critic, in brackets, who says things later on to either say, well, it wasn't so bad, or you're worse than I thought. So it's a sort of an adversarial approach to people. It's hard to understand these days. But the critic in this case has words directed to the Jewish people of that area who should have known better than to fall into the sinful natures that were dealt with last week and will be dealt with today. They should have known better because they had the law, they had the teaching, they had all this body of knowledge and behaviour behind them. That's the critic. Especially the Jewish people who pass judgment on non-Jewish people, lesser people, because they didn't have the book, they didn't have the law. So let's start looking at our passage from Romans 2. Now, first of all, the critic has a go at people who point the finger at others. And he says, You therefore have no excuse, you who have passed judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. That's the passage. Now, years ago, Pam came across a good illustration of that. You who do this, you've got four fingers there. One is pointing at the person being judged and accused. Where are the other three point, pointing? Straight back at you. It's a huge illustration of that particular passage that's on the screens. The next verse in the chapter or verses point out to the finger pointer that there 
hypocritical judgment of others is putting them fairly and squarely under the spotlight that God is able to see them far more clearly. They're really walking into it because they too will be judged by God. If they're repentant, they'd stop doing it. But if they're unrepentant, then that leads to the verse 6. You're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed by God. It will be revealed, full stop. God will repay each person according to what they have done. So that last bit about repayment for what they've done relates to the mindsets and principles that has led them to behave as they have behaved in ways that are obedient to God. What it does not do is to promote the idea that we can build up enough brownie points to earn our way into heaven according to what they have done. That doesn't do, doesn't get you the brownie points. So going to James for a minute, remember what James said about faith and deeds? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? So in this case, let, look, let's look at that back to front. Let's look at the converse. As the other side of the coin is this, that you deeds without faith don't work either. You can't earn God's faith just by doing things, no matter how well-intentioned you are. So that's not what that previous passage was about when it is said... Whoops, I lost it. Oh, God will repay each person according to what they've done. Now, when Paul writes about God repaying each person according to what they've done, he's telling us that it's this doing good things with faith, with the right intention, with God in your mind, is what we need to practice. Because God just does look at us and judge us on what we do, because what we do should reflect our value judgments, the source of those value judgments, our innermost hearts, minds and soul. If they're pointing to God and manifesting themselves that way, then that's what that passage was about, repaying everyone according to what they've done. So this letter to members of this newly established Christian group in Rome all that time ago, about 2,000 years ago, seems to be directly applicable to the Jewish people who had become followers of Christ. He's telling them, what you're doing is treating the Christian people from any other background at all than Judaism, but you're not as good as us. You haven't had the law, you haven't had the teaching, you haven't had this, you haven't had that. That's whom this letter and this portion of it seem to be addressing, the Jewish Christians who saw themselves as above all the other Christians, Gentiles, pagans, whatever you want to call them. So Paul's saying, listen, everybody under Christ is equal. You've got no tickets that the others don't have. You have no status that the other people haven't. You're all the same. So don't do any fault finding. Just look at your own lives. 
examine them and you'll see, as one of the earliest verses said, you've done the same things as they have. How can you claim to be superior? It just does not work. So going back to that diatribe thing, here's the critic having a go at people who, in this case, have been behaving badly. So early in the sermon, I started off with that tragic situation where Arthur got the strap from Mr. Williams, or Sir, as he was always called, because he confessed to a misdemeanour. I then asked, was Arthur's punishment just or unjust? Because the teacher did what seemed to be appropriate. Someone tossed something into the school building, not the right thing. Someone confessed, he punished as normally gave him a strap. And that little example is a good illustration of how judging someone else can be based on lack of information, lack of complete information, lack of background. Also, it can be done through just, I know your type, I'm going to get you, sort of thing. Now, when I was going back to that melancholy passage about Arthur, I took myself back to that little place at that time, and I, what came to mind was a saying that one of the, there were two guest houses, and the person who ran the bigger one was a lady, a woman of the world, really, and she said to my parents once, believe nothing you hear and only half of what you see. Just think it through. Believe nothing you hear only half what you see. Now, I was a little, very literal-minded child. I'm okay now, I think. But I took it literally. I thought, that sounds completely stupid. Well, you hear what you hear and you see what you see. But after a few years away after that, and several decades, we may say, it makes sense. It means we don't know the full picture. We haven't got the facts. So just think back to your life and think of times when you've made a judgment on someone and later on realise that, whoops, now I know it wasn't that way. They weren't like that at all. It's not what I thought it was. It's just so easy to do that. I know I do it all the time. I'm that sort of person. So let's, for the last time, keep in mind that judgment is best left to God. Only God is competent to judge, so let's leave it to God. It's not our job. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we are so prone to judge other people, particularly strangers, we don't know their background, we fit into stereotypes and we can think, I wouldn't care to associate with that person or they seem just like me, one of us. It would save us from judging other people because as you know, as we should know, it just doesn't work. You are the one to judge. Amen.